0: Buglers, we are live from Leicester Square Theatre on the sixteenth of September with Chris Addison and Alice Fraser. It might be our only London date of the year, so get your tickets now. Oh, get them at the buglepodcast.com. That that bit's important.
1: And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.
0: This is a podcast from The Bugle.
2: Hello and welcome to Catharsis. I'm Tiff Stevenson, full-time comedian, part-time massively unqualified therapist for this podcast only. Each week I talk to a guest about small things that irritate them, pet peeves, old wounds that maybe need healing. We also dive into a topical gripe and a historical beef to see if we can provide some insight and mainly some catharsis. You can sweat the small stuff with me. This week I'm joined by comedian, podcaster and vintage enthusiast Rachel Fairburn. And uh, before we get into her gripes, as you all know, if you're regular listeners, I like to get into a little gripe of my own at the top of the show. And this week it's Sky Equity, or air real estate, air rights. Now I've known about these for a while because it's how Trump made a lot of money in New York. When you own a building, it includes the right to use and build in the space above the land without interference. From others, and it's a legal concept that's encoded in the Latin phrase, which I'm absolutely going to butcher. It's my modus <laughs> operandi <laughs> incorrectly saying Latin phrases. Huesis es solemn ius es usque ad calium et ad inferos. I think somebody somewhere has probably just changed from a human into a horse because it sounds like <laughs> a spell. <laughs> um, translated it means whoever owns the soil it's theirs up to heaven and down to hell what if you don't believe in hell and how are there laws in this day and age based on hell being a reality rather than an abstract concept you know or heaven watch the top of the skyscraper in case you hit the philadelphia cheese angel while you're there how far down is hell surely hell is like at earth's core like someone else so if you own a property If you're owning it to the depths of hell, that's got to be to to the Earth's core, to the magma. So, like, if I buy a house, I'm like, well, I want to own it to the magma. And then I'm going to build down there. And then what happens is you pop out the other side and there's some dude in Australia going, I'm trying to have a barbecue, mate. Like, I don't (laughs) understand it. (laughs) Like, it, it blows my mind that this exists. Also, that we're just, like, I guess, like, years away from someone saying, I own that cubic foot of air and you're now breathing my air, and you own me money. <laughs> like, how is it possible that we can own something like a space above us?
3: I hate these, like, really archaic laws. You know, like, when, when was it? Was it when the, the vaccine came out and everyone started quoting the Magna Carta? Yes, yes. Like, it's something that you hadn't even thought about since school. <laughs> I just don't understand. Like, I, I just... And also, I think hell... If it did exist, I think it would be not on this earth. Right. For that law to be accurate, you'd have to prove the existence of heaven and hell.
2: Exactly. This is How can we have laws based in abstract concepts?
3: Yeah, you can't.
2: At the top of the show, we like to start with what we call an old grudge. So that is something from the past that you wish uh, had gone differently or that you'd had your say or that you still hold on to. It could be from school. It could be from work. It could be from six months ago. So hit me, Rachel.
3: OK, so this is hard for me because maybe I'm the wrong guest for this. I don't bear grudges. And you'd think I would. I, I've got that vibe of somebody who's very much a grudge bearer. But I don't. I'm very good at going, ah, fine, whatever. And then not speaking to somebody or just forgetting about something, moving on. But what something that does still bother me is jobs that I had in the past, uh because I left school at 16 and I went into the world of work I had some really nice jobs but the worst job I had was in a rare books library and it wasn't the the I loved the building I loved working with the books that we had but there was one particular boss that I had and I hated them and it and it wasn't a case of anything I'd done they'd just taken a dislike to me to the point of that everybody else noticed but it was such bizarre little things that they'd sort of, tr- you know, when someone tries to bully you, and I've never been bullied. I was never bullied at school and I've never bullied anybody. And I certainly won't allow myself to be bullied as an adult. But it was just very bizarre. It's like this sort of middle aged woman when I was sort of in my sort of late 20s who used to just pick up on things and like, you know, call me up to her office all the time and stuff like that. And I'd just be like, I can't get my head around this. And, and then, as, as, of course, as you as you leave the job, I mean, I remember my leaving do. She came on my leaving do, and I was thinking, why are you here? <laughs> and she bought me a drink, and I was like, I'd rather drink the devil's piss than drink that. I'm not taking a drink off you. So I just said, oh, I'm ever so sorry. I can't accept a drink off you. Uh, and she was like, oh, uh, I didn't even realise you were leaving today. I was like, why would you? You know, just everything about this woman was awful and I I, to the point of it doesn't make me angry or or anything it just makes me baffled when I look back on it I think what was so bad in your life that you had to focus on me in some way to go for me and make try and make my life
2: hell I like that you were principled enough to not accept the drink I like that that was your line I like that that was your line you were like I will not Take a beverage from you, lady. No,
3: can't. I tell you what, like, that's something else that I used to... If i you know, working with people, the people that you sort of dislike, and it was very much sort of that kind of building and vibe of people bringing stuff that they'd made, cakes and stuff like that. And if I didn't like somebody, I'm like, I can't eat cakes off you. I can't eat any food that you've made. I'm not going to have I your brownies, field. Susan. <laughs> I don't want this shit. You know, I, I just would be like, no, thank you. And I, I don't know how people can... If they don't like somebody or, you know, they've got some sort of friction with somebody, I don't understand how they can then engage with them on certain levels or accept things off them. I'm like, no, it's a boundary that's up. We're not, we don't interact in any way. I'm certainly not going to eat your food. I'm wondering if I would.
2: I wonder if I'd be like choking, (laughs) choking down some (laughs) kind of sponge cake out of politeness. (laughs) Like, I don't know what to do. But what's interesting about how you've described it is... It's one of those really, really annoying and I get that you don't harbour grudges. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think actually, as a rule, that's a good way to be in life because it can really drag you down when you're wearing the weight of like a thousand different petty annoyances mm. or or injustices, sometimes perceived injustices, sometimes actual injustices. And it can be quite hard to move forward when you've got like a lot of these Sort of on there, but every now and then I remember things that people have done that have irritated me. And what's interesting mm. about your story is it's quite hard to get other people to understand when someone does it, when it's a series of small slights, mm. small slights, yes. like little negs, little like jabs. You know, that you're like, so you tell a person one, they're like, well, maybe they meant this. Maybe they didn't mean yes. it that way. Yeah, and then yeah, you go, yeah. no, you have to build, you have to look at the whole picture. And when you look at the whole picture, you go, this person's a fucking asshole." That's yes. what this is. <laughs> now yes. I'm looking at the whole picture. I can see something that I don't like. But, um, but you feel mad because you feel like you're keeping a ledger of like little, and you're like, surely I've got better things to do. But now it's like the third or fourth time. I'm beginning to see a pattern here.
3: Yes, exactly. And I, I, but also I was quite baffled by the whole thing because even though I liked the job, I didn't care enough about the job because it wasn't well-paid. It wasn't a particularly good job. And also it was a job that I had to, but I was doing stand-up in the evening. You know, that was, that was my job to pay my bills, but the thing I wanted to do was in the evening. So I was just kind of like, I don't, you know, I do my job. I don't understand why there's, why you want to create an atmosphere and i noticed like there was a very much of a an upstairs downstairs culture in there um and i i I, my theory on this is because it was a neo-gothic building it was a very grand building i think that got in people's heads and if you had a nice office i think it made people feel like they were powerful so if you worked (laughs) on the mod if you worked on the modern reception they were like oh you peasants you know and I, i think it did psychologically affect people but I just got to the point where I was like, and and I, I started to see her in a totally different way. Like she, <laughs> I started to see it as you know when you're a kid and you see, uh, or you put your mum's high heeled shoes on and sort of walk about in them and like put a little handbag on your arm, and that's how I started to see her. Like, oh, you're pretending, you're playing at being a boss. You're pretending to be a grown up, and this is how you think. This how you think grown ups act.
2: Yes, and also taking your little bit of power some people are dangerous with power
0: and Mm.
2: often you know not to give her necessarily credit that we feel like she deserves but often when someone behaves like that where they're trying to grab a little bit of power they feel fairly powerless in their life in lots of other ways so they're like this is the one place that I actually get to do a thing and I get to make the rules or I get to and that's actually just quite tragic Um, But also, uh, did she turn up at any of your gigs if you were doing stand-up at the time?
3: No. Because that would have been a power play.
2: That really would have been
3: a power play. (laughs) I remember she sent me an email once and she was like, I think your um, activities in in stand-up comedy outside of work are interfering with your job (gasps) here. Which, let me tell you what my job there was, uh, to to wander around, make sure no one was nicking anything, uh, show people books that they wanted to see and um, make sure the building was... Like it, and I, and I was sort of sent her a message back, and I was like, "We well, can you give us some examples because I think what you're saying is actually erroneous, which is great when you oh. get a word like that in it." And uh, no email came back. No email came back. So I, I think I, I don't know. I just she'd never been to any of my gigs. Never. Which I mean, she had no fucking sense of humour, so I don't think comedy was a <laughs> bag. There was no sort of sensible attitude around lives. You know, like if somebody had a dentist appointment it'd be oh well you make the time back and like just let someone go out with a dentist you know or go to the doctors or just be a bit malleable because life's not as straightforward as you know you, you it's that kind of just that oppressive atmosphere of no flexibility no flexibility whatsoever
2: but also that is especially if someone's on the shop floor you don't want them with a cold sneezing over people if their teeth are bad, let them go to the dentist because they're there representing. I do like to imagine that you walked around stroking the spines going, rare. <laughs> that's what I imagine. <laughs> oh, all the time, yeah. All the time, yeah. <laughs> in a really sexy fashion. I like to think that's what goes on in a rare book It's ever job. so
3: rare. Oh, it's ever so old and rare. There's only one of these.
2: <laughs> Where was it published? I'll never tell. Um, I don't know why I'm trying to make it sexy. But uh yeah, I I I feel like this person we've all met in the workplace unfortunately. Mm. And um I definitely did um early on and I I met a few of these and I just my upshot was on the other side I was a bit like this is a bit tragic because this is as big as your life's going to get mm. and this is as exciting as so I felt very um <laughs> what's the word I'm looking for there like almost like that sounds like so full of myself. But what's the other option? Is you blow up at them at work, and then you get fired, or yeah. or you just move on and do better with your life and leave them
3: in there. exactly. The...
2: Thank you for sharing your old grudge. I've enjoyed that, and I'm thinking about her. I wonder if she's still there. Uh, if you're listening, sort your shit
0: out. <laughs> One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes.
1: Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt.
2: The next section of the podcast we call uh, topical cream, which is where we Mm. discuss uh, a stingy news story and try and help heal it. And it can be anything. It doesn't even have to be within the last week. It could be within the last six months. But something that's out there that's happening in the world that's got you a little bit like, ah.
3: Okay. It's the cost of living crisis and the way that things are reported. I fuck it. Like when, uh, who was it in the government the other day? I've got to sound very inarticulate then. The The woman who was saying, oh, basically the, the upshot of what she was saying was, oh, work harder, right? do more hours. Uh, I, I'm just sick of it. And, and I hate things like, oh, here's, uh, oh, like on the BBC website, oh, cheap recipes to feed 12 people and it's a fucking carrot and a turnip boiled, you know? I, I hate it. I hate the way that, sort of the way things are at the moment, because, you know, there's a cost of living crisis, everyone's skin, energy bills are going up, people are fucked, people are on their asses. you know, and it's affecting pretty much everybody. Yes. And it's just, it's just this thing of, oh, well, why don't you um, buy this, book but, but free, like, it, people are quite, it, it's this attitude of, well, you will live in poverty in this rich country. I, I hate this
2: attitude. I sort of talked about this very, like a while back on Twitter, and I had people going, well, we're not one of the richest nations, and I'm like, we are. That just the distribution of it is uh, is very, mm-hmm. very unequal. And it, there was this attitude. I described it as like, why should we be living in the pages of a Samuel Pepys diary? Like, why is it why is, why is yeah. it okay for that to? And like you say, it affects every. It's not just at the bottom. It's at the bottom. In the middle. It's in the middle upper. The only ones it's not really affecting are like the top one percent. You know mm, exactly, The yeah. one percenters—they're the ones not being affected by this. Um, but but the it's, it was Therese Coffee. I think is the is the That's person. That's it. Yeah. Was, yeah. Um. So just just work a bit harder. It's the Kardashian attitude of like people don't work, and you're like sure, sure, Kim Uh, because you seem to work really hard yeah (laughs) um but it but like Therese coffee and kim kardashian they have so much in common um (laughs) but but uh yeah it's the idea that that somehow it's our fault that we are being charged more than any other country in europe for our energy bills and these people that appear whenever you talk about it to discuss it that kind of go you don't know hard you know like, back in mm. my day, Uncle Charlie had lumps of wood for teeth. You would never heard him complain. These sort of people, you know, like, oh, we shared one square of chocolate between nine of us.
3: You... Yeah, it's the, it's the it's fetishisation of it. That's the I word. I hate it.
2: That's the perfect
3: it, word. It's like, this is not normal. This is like, I follow this uh, account on Twitter. I've become a bit obsessed with it, and it's called something like Golden Memories and Silver Tears or something. And It started off as quite a, a thing of like, Oh, do you remember this? Do you remember that? And now it's become an insanity. I'm like, how old is the person running this? Because <laughs> I don't I don't think they remember any of this. And then it was like, th- there was a picture of just coats on a bed the other day and it said, remember when it was so cold you had to put coats on the bed? It's like, yeah, that's not a happy memory. That's not a nice thing to remember. Why, you know, the people are doing that now. This is not something, not like, oh, do you remember when we were all really cold? I remember like, when I was... Sorry, very, when you said small. that,
2: coats on the bed, I automatically thought, do you remember when you used to go to a house party and everyone would oh, the
3: yeah. up? <laughs> oh, no, no. <laughs> Not fun coats on the bed. Coats on the bed to get you warm. Getting off with someone I'm... underneath a pile of get... coats on the bed. <laughs> but I remember being like, what about, I'd say one of my earliest memories was being like about three years old and getting up in the morning but to go to nursery, but getting dressed in bed because it was cold you know and and just being cold i don't think anyone should have to be cold and it it's just this weird sort of oh well if you can't afford this oh buy three potatoes and freeze them and then have half a one on a wednesday i cannot like I, i just do not understand why everyone's so happy to just go okay Oh, the the um the healthy eating uh initiative
2: by the government. This was a while ago. It's always this idea that people think they can budget better than people who have to budget. And I've often said before, you should make like single mums <laughs> do, do yeah. the do the budget each year, not the chancellor because they know how to stretch. Yeah. So there's this healthy eating like no more junk food. And I was like, yeah, but healthy food is like actually really expensive. It's quite hard to eat with like, to get hold of fresh ingredients to make these healthy dishes yeah. you're talking about. And that's when what I called this spag bowl dads appeared on Twitter. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, called, <laughs> I
2: called them the spag bowl dads because all of these men came back and it was all men with a recipe for like, you can make spaghetti bolognese and then like using like, um, like a dolmio bolognese sauce that i was like oh but, yeah. you know this has got loads of sugar and salt in it like yeah. it's the anti, and also it's not as cheap as you look like, you're like you can get an onion for five pence and you're like in what world are you buying an onion for five pence mate like it would cost you more than that to grow one in an allotment right like what how how are you thinking that that is possible to do this so people like to go I know how to do that, or I know how to. People just need to be, you know, maybe cut back on some luxuries. Why have you got a nice phone or a, a TV? You know, I think that's forever yeah. been this thing of like, why are people in council houses? Why have they got? Why have they got televisions?
3: Yeah, exactly. It's, it's this thing of like, it, you, you just don't believe that anyone could be a, is allowed a luxury. You know, what, what it's like? You should just have a miserable existence you should be eating scraps for your breakfast, dinner and tea and you should be going to bed cold. And I just don't... It's like that whole thing of like, yeah, cigarettes are expensive, but it's like, oh, they're all smoking because what a fucking miserable time they're having. Yes. Let them have something for them, you know?
2: Yeah. Does it matter? Like when you see homeless people and you go, well, they're going to spend that money on, uh, on drugs and booze and you're like, I would. Yeah, well, yeah, fucking. If I was on the street, what do you think I would be doing? This sober, like, what are you on about?
3: You know, let just some little luxury in someone's fucking life. Just let them have something, you know. I just it's it's this thing of like this wanting poor people to be Dickensian, you know, Cratchits, and but they don't just want them to be poor and cold. They want them to be grateful for anything that that you might be able to throw them as well. Um, yeah. I, ju- I just hate the whole scenario. We shouldn't, you know, in a normal society, you shouldn't want people to be, you know, scrabbling around trying to find an, an onion for 5p. This is not normal behaviour. You should be thinking, instead of going, well, you can do that, you should be saying, why should anyone be doing that?
2: Yes, yeah. Why should people who are in full-time jobs be using food banks?
3: absolutely why do we have food banks in the first place I yeah, don't don't yeah. get me started on that because there's a food bank on my street and every saturday people turn up to use this food bank more people than than is acceptable but this is something i don't understand it's at a community center and the queue for the food bank is always up the street why are you making people queue outside there's a sports hall fucking let the people in to give yeah, people like some you parade them. yeah give people some form of fucking dignity you know it, it really fucking annoys me, it really bugs me.
2: Yeah, you're not letting people have any, um, you know, it, it's like a statement, isn't it? I'm standing in this queue, therefore there's going to be a judgment of me and the fact that I yeah. need this. And I already feel horrific because I need this. Yeah. Because I need this help. Because, you know, as we all know, when times are hard, it's very difficult to even acknowledge that it can be hard, acknowledge that you need help. Um, so the idea that you must then, and and also I will say this, poor people are the ones that are often made to feel bad about other poor people. How it often plays out is I was at the airport in Glasgow and next to the easy jet check-in was a huge charity desk that had been set up for donations. And I was like, do you know what this isn't in? The business lounge. It's right next to the easy check-in because they know that often people who are broken hard up are the first to donate or try and help out. Or they're made to feel pressure that they should be doing that. And then the people who actually have money, who are in the business lounge, are left alone. So it's other poor people who are made to feel bad about poor people and also because the airport is the last place anyone feels um altruistic mm. like you're like yeah. i've just waved my if you're getting on an easy jet flight you're like so stressed out anyway <laughs> and like i was like this is such a bad idea but it but I, I was fascinated by the fact that it wasn't done in the in the biz in the business lounge yeah
3: exactly yeah it's you know solve your own problems oh you know if you if your skin oh well. But- there's people more skinned than you are. You should be helping those people. Yeah, I just hate it, you know. And and also, I do get tired of middle-class altruism as well. That's something that really annoys me, where it's, if you want to help people do it, you don't have to fucking tell everybody on social media, you know. Yes,
2: don't be performative with it. Yes. Just, do, your, just do, the, do the good things. Don't tell us all about it. Because Absolutely. Then, then it becomes about you. It isn't about you really wanting to help. It's about... Everyone seeing you as a good person, and
3: what are you? What are you hiding? That's what I always think with some people when they do it too often. I'm like, what are you hiding? You know, don't make me think of Jimmy Savile. What are you up to? You know, <laughs> look too over there. Charity. Don't look at me. Yeah, look yes. over there. Don't look at me. That's the thing. Yeah, I'm just very we suspicious. See you. Yeah, we see
2: you. We see you. Now. This section of the podcast can get spicy because <laughs> it's time for an unpopular opinion. So that is something that you love that everyone else hates or vice versa.
3: Okay. I was thinking about this and I, I'm not interested in films. I, I've seen films uh, that I've seen now and I will just re-watch those ones now. I do not want to hear recommendations. I don't want... When my boyfriend says... Oh, I really like you think you should you'd enjoy this. I'm like, no. I don't wanna know. I am happy as I am.
2: No new films then. No No new new films. films.
3: The thing is as well, I'm more of a, a reader than I am a watcher. And I find that if I am watching anything now, I have to have subtitles on. So like my boyfriend always says to me, Oh, why have you got subtitles on? You know, after he's just been careering through the house singing making noise, <laughs> fucking banging pans, you know, whistling while he's putting the kettle on. You're why I've got subtitles on. But I, I, to engage with something properly, I have to be able to read along with it. And I just, I've got a very poor attention span unless I'm physically reading something. I just, I'm not interested in, you know, I don't want to hear people talking about films. You like, you're like, a film person though, aren't you? Well, it's so
2: weird that you say this because it was just last night. I was going through some old films that I love and thinking we really had peak cinema and I just don't know that it's going to get back to, put Mars Attacks in the list to watch again. And I was like, look at the stellar cast in this. You know, it's got Glenn Close and it's got Jack Nicholson. It's got Danny DeVito. It's got Sarah Jessica Parker and Piers Brosnan. Mm. You know, like this caliber of, and I was sort of thinking almost the opposite. I was like, I think I'm past peak TV. Like I do want to see really good movies again, Mm. but it feels like there's a lot more character driven which is also great and arty stuff out there but like films like that like Independence Day you know those mm, big like yeah event, event cinema yeah the blockbusters that you were like oh, oh which felt like it came back a bit with Top Gun Maverick but uh, I would love to see the return of that kind of film but like you say I've got all of my favorite films are still ones from that period in my life where it was the defining you know it was stuff like Terminator 2 it was stuff like Goodfellas. It was stuff like Point Break. Uh, that, that era of film, for me, is like, it provides everything that I want. And now I feel I'm just watching rehashed
3: versions of not so good stuff. I mean, I love horror films. That's one thing. I will watch horror films. That's pretty much all I watch. That was it. The, the film, As Good As It Gets, was on TV the other day. And my mum was watching it. And I said, I couldn't watch anything like this. And she said, yeah, because no one's getting injured or no one's frightened. I was like, yeah, that, that's that's why I can't watch it. But I will happily watch a, a bad film or oh, TV movie in the afternoon that's shit, love it, cannot get enough of that kind of stuff because it makes me laugh and I think... I don't know, I find it quite charming that something's so bad and I enjoy that, you know, I don't have to think about anything. And then I'll watch, like, a, a TV show or a, a film from the 70s or the early 80s. Say, for example, if my boyfriend Tim sits me down and he goes... Oh, I'd really like to watch Dead Man's Shoes. I'm like, I can't imagine anything fucking worse, mate. I would, I don't want to watch it. I just don't care, you know? I've not been to the cinema for ages. Like, if there's a horror film out, I'll usually try and go to the cinema to go and watch it. But I do yeah,
2: love I, horror. So I'm the same as you. I love horror and I like, I will go to a, a horror film in the same way that my husband, who is you know, a director. So obviously Mm -hmm. we both love film, Um, but it just takes a lot, like it takes a lot more now, I think to impress me in terms of film. Like Mm. I loved everything everywhere all at once. That blew me away. So it, but it has to be something quite big, I guess, to now make me feel like we had this, such a great cinema era in the nineties. But then again, that could just be because it was my coming of age, sort of period yeah. but I do I do like watching new films that, that that come out I am I'm eager and keen for them and I like the vintage tv stuff as well mm. but I yeah I find that I do have my favorites that I could just re rewatch. have you yeah. got those like what's what's the ones that you like oh
3: Jurassic Park I that was a film I went to see it was pictures like I went about 10-15 times when it was out love it still love it now um uh, an American Werewolf in London, love that film, probably my favourite. Uh, School for Scoundrels, which uh, is the old 1960s, 50s, 60s one with Alistair Sim and Terry Thomas in it, love that an film. An Ealing
2: comedy. Is it Ealing? I always think of those Alistair Sims
3: ones as Ealing. Yeah, yes, like St Trinian's and all that kind of stuff.
2: Yeah. Here's maybe what what we're noticing, or both of us, about a lot of modern films is it feels like there's less of this kind of very, very specific auteur and you're coming through in the Steven Spielberg sort of era and the Scorsese and all of those, you know, even Catherine Bigelow with like Point Break, that era of directors where their work felt so very specific and a lot of stuff now is made. A friend of mine told me about this concept and as an actor, I was like, that just makes me want to curl up and die (laughs) That he had a meeting for a film, and the director went, "Yeah, this is a this is a one eye project," and he was like, "What?" He's like, "Yes, yeah, like a one." We call them a one eye film, which is where you kind of watch it, but you're also just sort of scrolling through your phone at the same time. Oh my
3: god, that's not a point. Don't make it then. Don't make it. But that is
2: how so many films these days are kind of like. Sometimes you watch something and you go there's all this exposition in the first five minutes and then there's just like chunks of stuff happening and you're like this isn't really adding to the story it's (sighs) not really going anywhere and then you're like oh it's because people are like scroll 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 oh god no i hate that i hate
3: that
2: If a film can't keep your attention and then you're like, oh, I'm going to, you know, when I get into the cinema, I switch my phone off anyway. So, I'm yeah, like, I find it quite easy to sort of suspend my disbelief. So it's quite difficult to take me out of it. But but that just felt to me like there's less of that. You know, now there's more people involved in the process, maybe mm. there's less um, latitude given to directors. And, um, you know, it could ne- sometimes be about property. I guess is why Scorsese came out and said, you know there's too many superhero films and not oh, enough yeah. stories, you know, mm-hmm. um, that, that directors are, are not necessarily given that same, you know, there's a committee of people who are like, we're going to make this film and someone wants to make it like this. And someone wants to make it like that. And, and there's, there's, there's lack of authorship. I could be completely wrong, but that's, kind mm. of I yeah. think that's a, a real thing at the moment.
3: Yeah. And I agree. There are too many superhero films. I mean, I'm not even interested I mean, I'm glad people enjoy them, but, you know, grow up. I just... <laughs> and I, I Look, and I, and I hate to say this, I just find it when adult men are really into... I mean, don't get me wrong, I, I, I'm i glad that... It, maybe it's my ick. There you go. Maybe that's my ick.
2: <laughs> Your ick, yes, yes. Oh, you just you're turned too- 14,
3: you like Iron Man. That's nice. <laughs>
2: And I think the authorship can happen in horror films as well. By the way, that is a I was thinking mm-hmm. there about Ari Aster who did um, Hereditary and oh, Midsummer. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, so you can see when it's in horror as a genre, which has like I love horror and it's kind of boomed again. You know, in the last sort of uh, five to ten years, I think has been like an, a real resurgence, and especially of films that you you think they are the horror, but there's also a social horror or an underlying something else going on within it that tells us about the world. And I think that's why horror is an exciting genre at the moment. And it doesn't really get recognised much at any of these awards ceremonies and stuff like that. No, it doesn't really.
3: Hereditary was probably the last film I remember going to the cinema to see where there was an audible, ah, from the entire cinema. And you know which bit? I know the bit, yeah. yeah.
2: (laughs) And do you know what they did that was so clever? The trailer, the trailer. If you saw the trailer to that film, and I think more films need to do this because more, fi- too many films give away what the film yes. is going to be about and put all the best bits in the trailer. The trailer for that so specifically led you down the path of thinking one thing and what the film was going to be about, and then pulls the rug from underneath, yeah, you yeah, completely. yeah, without any spoilers. I think it's fair to say, yeah, I that was very clever.
3: It was. I really enjoyed it, but I, I that that bit. When I mean, it was a really packed cinema as well. So when everyone had the same reaction, but then what was quite Uh, funny was that relief because then everyone started laughing. (laughs) Like, oh my God, that was horrible. Ha, 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 wasn't it? (laughs) Um, Yeah, one of the top horror moments, I think, that. Thank
2: you for sharing your your unpopular opinion. I sort (laughs) of agree with it. So that's, that's, that's always fun. This is the section of the podcast we call... Oryx, which is a prehistoric form of cattle, which was oh, okay. <laughs> our way of saying historical beef. How else are we gonna Very say good, historical like beef? And as you're on the podcast this week, mm-hmm. Rachel, I thought you might have something something to say about this. It's blur it's one of the all time great feuds. Blur versus Oasis. Now, you might already be like, actually, it's Oasis versus Blur. Nah. But 27... Is it 27 years ago now? Fucking hell. Uh, Unbelievable. 28 years ago, that the uh, Britpop Wars hotted up. The Battle of Britpop. Whose side were you on? Um, August 1995. Team Oasis
3: or Team Blur? I am a huge Oasis fan. I mean, to the point of... Embarrassing. I think about Oasis every single day. I talk about them every single day. I talk about I call them Liam and Noel, as if I know them. Right. I am a bore about Oasis. I, I got into Oasis when I was 12. They've been more part of my life more than they've not, and I absolutely adore them. Um but I also like blur. So I love Britpop. I was about 12, 13 when it was all going on, and I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Loved Paul. I even like menswear, but we don't talk about that anymore. <laughs> so it was Country House and Roll with It that were released on the same day. Clearly engineered by record companies to get a bit of excitement going. And Blur's Country House actually got to number one. Um, I actually bought both of those singles, uh, so I didn't. I didn't pick one to buy because I, I just liked both bands, but I preferred Oasis. Um, I also made a game at school in uh, craft design and technology. It was the Oasis. Uh, that was my game that I made for my project. And um, it was it was that kind of thing. But when you think back, it's it's like it's a class thing, isn't it? They put the working class boys against the art school boys, didn't they? And yes. um, yeah. unfortunately, the art school boys won, which was a bit of a shame. But it's like it's so pathetic because when you read back. Uh, like Damon Albarn said oh it was like the, the school bullies I wasted for the school bullies oh fuck off damon shut up <laughs> grow up well mate.
2: especially as i think didn't blur move the release date of country house to the ah, same day okay, so I, okay so the right. first the first blow in this feud or the first bit of the beef was actually started by blur so you can't accuse Uh, the others of bullying when you're the ones coming in going no we're going to release ours the same day let's see what happens yeah you're the one coming out all charlie big potatoes (laughs) and uh, (laughs) and and saying you know we're gonna we're gonna go up against you um and yeah like you say the press i think had an absolute field day on this of just like presenting working class no nonsense no nonsense northerner versus hipster pretension mm. and you know and same as you I I really liked both and yeah. I really liked pulp as well. Um, yes, yes. And and I often wonder sometimes when we talk about rivalries on this, I'm like, is the net effect that it makes both of them better in their work or is
3: it a distraction from the work? Um to be honest, I just think it was a bit of fun at the time, wasn't it? It was just a bit of fun that was probably about ten days. Of people's (laughs) lives. Warfare, warfare, Rachel. (laughs) Just ten days. It's a bit of fun. I actually went to see uh, Oasis, was the first band that I went to see um, in Manchester in 1995, and I went to see Blur the week after. So I, you know, what what a great time that was. Um, It was just a bit of fun, wasn't it? I think Damon Albarn kind of took it a bit too seriously. Uh, I think he took the whole Oasis thing a little bit too serious. I think he was quite intimidated by these northern working class men, but I think deep down he really wanted to be friends with them. Because it was weird because Liam and Noel and the rest of Oasis at the time actually got on with the other members of Blur. You know, they got on with, uh, I don't necessarily think Alex James, I think, yeah. Uh, Coxon, did they get on with Coxon? They got on with Graham Coxon and they got on with Dave Roundtree, the drummer. Uh, but Graham Coxon seems to be quite a popular person with most people. He seems quite a popular guy. But I think Damon Albarn uh, has probably never come into contact with anyone like Oasis in his life, and I think he was quite intimidated by them. I mean, what, what his, <laughs> both his parents were art teachers, I think, weren't they? And he was at an art college in Colchester, that kind of thing. I can't listen to Damon Albarn now, though, many because I don't like his musical output. But when he sings, he whistles his S's. and it, it, I don't know if my hearing's changed as I've got older. But that's all I can hear. Oh, that's interesting. And I can't deal
2: with it. That suggests like that he's had teeth removed or replaced or something's happened.
0: Yeah. His, I, I just, need to have a
2: listen to see yeah. if I can get that. What I kind of like about it is 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 you're not gonna forget it and it's part of the bluster of rock and roll, I mm, think. Yeah. You know, and you could argue that the races felt rock and roll and, and and blur felt like a band. Even though there was like, you know, there's heavy guitar and there's rock, you know. uh, I really felt like at the time Oasis embodied, apparently it sort of started, they were quite respectful to each other. And then uh, uh, after.
3: um, Did Liam say something about, he said something about Justine Frischmann from Elastica, didn't he? He said, uh, I think he said that he fancied her and she was going out with Damon Albarn at the time.
2: Yes, I think there's yeah. something. Oh God, in. so much interpersonal. <laughs> this was this was our era. It's like the, you yeah, know, in the seventies they had Fleetwood Mac doing this. <laughs> this like kind of rumors level, and I'd forgotten about Justine. Yeah, Justine. Apparently, he walked up to Alban at a party. Liam, of course, it's Liam. <laughs> uh, like because Noel was a bit more like choosy about when he dropped his bombs, whereas Liam was yeah. like, "I'm going to do him right now." And apparently, some might say was number one. So album went to Oasis celebration party to say well done. Liam came over and goes number no, fucking one right <laughs> in my face. And, <laughs> um, so I thought, okay, we'll see. But I kind of like that. I kind of think that's a that's someone riding high and going. You know, he's at their party. Yeah. Like, what does he think yeah. was going to happen? That that they were going to you know, they were going to concede graciously and be like well we didn't expect this but um yeah exciting he's like no number fucking one you know Yeah, exactly
3: a bunch of working class lads from manchester i mean what at the time liam's what 24 years old something like that he's having a great time he's a singer in a band the number one what do you want him to do yeah
2: yeah i hadn't even thought about the 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 sort of how much of it was engineered probably specifically by the record companies. To make the most, but it's sold magazines. It's sold records. Yeah. Well, not even records, CDs. CDs,
3: yeah. <laughs> Compact discs.
2: <laughs> I wasn't aware how much you were a fan of Blur as well. So that's kind of interesting to me. Yeah. Um, that you were like, oh no, I'm buying both of them. So you didn't buy. I wonder how many fans actually bought into the like getting angry. Because I'm sure there are some Oasis <laughs> fans who are like still rage at Robbie
3: Williams to this day. Oh, that's a sad um, little sort of tiff, isn't it? Because I, again, Robbie Williams, he just wanted to be friends with them, didn't he? And they were just like, yes. "No, nah, I don't think so, mate." And then obviously Robbie went out with Nicole Appleton, and then Liam sort of was like, "Well, married her, didn't he?" Yes, <laughs> so yes. All that kind of stuff. <laughs> I was like, everyone the all
2: saints. All Saints sort of in the mix. Meg Matthews, the early Meg Meg Matthews. Meg Matthews, yeah. Patsy Kensit, my producer has just sort of come on to say. Yeah, I've got Patsy Kensit. They were busy lads, busy lads.
3: Um, Although I do think Liam very much is the kind of man that if he meets a woman and she says, we're together now, he goes, all right. I don't think, (laughs) I just think, right, okay. I think he's very much like, Noel is getting divorced. That's something that... You know, I can't believe he's getting divorced from his wife now. I'm I, I, I'm shocked by that. Genuinely shocked. So
2: all you need to do is meet Liam then and go... Oh, I've Liam, met Liam. We're together. Oh, you have yeah, met I think,
3: him? Yeah, I've met him. Yeah, he's very nice. I gave him a kiss on the cheek. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, I can't imagine anything worse than, than being married to one of them. Not for me. Not <laughs> for me. At arm's length. Enjoy yeah, music. Yeah, I, I like the music. Well, that, that's the thing, you know. Imagine, I always think about people that like, you know, fans that then marry the, the person they're a fan of. You can't enjoy yeah. the music anymore. No, you know? because you
2: know the person.
3: Yeah. I'd rather
2: have the music. Keep You've the music. You've been in the bathroom after they've had a shit. Yeah, like, don't. Yeah. <laughs> this is ruined definitely maybe yeah, for me. Yeah,
3: you do not. <laughs> you... Yeah, I don't I don't even want to think about it. Just keep them. <laughs> keep them as they are. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for
2: chatting about our historical beef uh, today. And before we wrap up, I always like to ask our guests if they have anything to plug. So tell us what you're up to and where we can see you and what you're
3: doing. Oh, well, what am I up to? I've got a podcast called Ghoul Guide. That's out now on all platforms. It's where I visit haunted locations around the UK uh, and see if there's any ghosts. Uh, Oh, yes.
2: Do listen to that. Do listen to Ghoul
3: Guide. That's great. All killer. All killer. Oh, I'll Kill an Old killer, no Filler, uh, podcast that I do with Pritchard Klein about serial killers. That's that's out, and that's been out for nine fucking years. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just, if you're not listening, there's plenty to catch up on. Uh, that's it, really. Just gig in, and then uh, I think I might have a tour in September, but we'll see, you know.
2: But if they want to see you live, what they can do is go to your Instagram and Twitter. Instagram, Twitter,
3: just get on there. I've got a link tree
2: you know what you're doing go check out the link tree and and then you can find out about last minute gigs and all of that kind of stuff uh i am also on tour go to tiffstevenson.co.uk because i've finally updated my website with tour dates not the pictures there's still a photo of me on a stool in a flowery dress looking like i'm in a yoga advert uh but uh apart from that um all of the dates are listed there so come out and see me on tour thank you for joining us rachel pleasure i've enjoyed myself
0: You can listen to other programs from The Bugle, including The Bugle, Catharsis, Tiny Revolutions, Top Stories, and The Gargle, wherever you find your podcasts.
1: Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget?